The Natural Hat Trick, hosted by Luke Lipinski and Craig Morgan. Welcome into episode 275 of the Natural Hat Trick podcast alongside Craig Morgan. Good natty hatty. And Steve Peters. <laughs> thanks thanks again. I still don't have my catchphrase. I, I'm three, three episodes in. I need my sh- shtick. I don't get it. I'll work on it. But, but Luke. Yes. Help me. Okay. A natural hat trick. Yes. Just by hockey definition, is okay. the same player scoring three goals consecutively in a game to get the natural hat trick. True. When you started this with Jamie, there were two hosts. I, I, I'm struggling to find the hat trick. I get it now when you have three hosts. Clever, witty, the three time. I, I, I don't, I don't get the original, original, the original name. name. I want to make sure I remember this right. The original name was actually today's Slapshot podcast. Okay. And then somebody on our third episode showed up on the couch in the studio. And he's been here for the last 273 episodes. Special guest. Special guest, Craig Morgan. Like who is still, who is still not listed as a guest host. He is special guest. Special yeah. guest, Craig Morgan, Craig Morgan is here yeah. today. Yeah. I am. Okay. I'm John Belushi. They call John Belushi the thing that wouldn't leave at parties. I will come up with my little catchphrase by next week. I really oh should, I should start uh, introducing Petey first because I feel like he's part of the show now. And then I'll get the special guest, Craig Morgan, after that. Special guest. Yeah. yeah. See, I, Hi, I appreciate that. Let's uh, let's start with the Coyotes still in a playoff spot, 16 games left in the season. So certainly, I mean, that's that's where you want to be at this point in the season. Uh, they've been dominant against the California teams, and it looked like they were going to keep that going uh, on Wednesday night against L.A. And then the third period happened. You know, there's a lot of different reasons, I guess, for something like that to happen. The biggest one to me is that that was the Kings season and the Kings probably aren't making the playoffs anyway. But if they lose that game, they're 11 back of the Coyotes. Uh, but let's, uh, PD, I'll start with you. When you see a period like that, I mean, the schedule's been brutal. It's been brutal for everybody, but how much of that is on the Coyotes and how much of that is on LA? Yeah, you know, I, I think you have to look at the way LA came out in that third period. I mean, that was a team that we hadn't seen over the previous five periods from the Kings. That's what you expected from period one uh, on the first game against the Coyotes with some kind of a push, some kind of a surge. And it just never happened for the Kings. They had a little success right after the power play for the Coyotes ended. And they get that first goal, and then they were jumping. They were on every loose puck. The Coyotes looked tired. They had nothing. They couldn't get through the, through the neutral zone. And L.A. really owned the play for that entire period. So, you know, momentum swings that way. And the Coyotes just had no response. I don't know if they didn't have the legs, but they didn't have the response in that third period that could keep up with the Kings. Yeah, I saw some critical mistakes too. OEL obviously hurt them in that period. Let's let's be honest. He hurt them with a couple plays. I thought Phil Kessel had a chance to block one of those shots up high and sort of uh I can't even say Flamingo did as uh Tyson Nash would say. He he just moved out of the way. He could have blocked a shot. Clayton Keller hurt him as well. So you're talking about some key guys making some key errors in that third period. They they need to rebound, obviously, in Vegas. Uh, you know, I said this off air, but when, when I looked at this road trip, I thought that they had to sweep Anaheim and get a split in L.A. Well, that's what they've done. But the challenge now is these final four games of the road trip, two in Vegas, the back-to-back Vegas-Colorado, which is just brutal. And I think Ivan Prosvital is probably going to start the, the, the back half of that and then finish it up in Minnesota. you got to find a way to get three points out of these four games to stay in it. Yeah, you're three up on St. Louis right now. You're still within striking distance of Minnesota, depending what you do against them specifically. But this this is a run here where, I mean, for the most part, the Coyotes have played the tough teams on their schedule already, and we're seeing it. We talked about it on the show a couple weeks ago. St. Louis has to play Colorado and Vegas, and they're not beating them. 
So, I mean, that's the trade-off, but this is the last really, truly difficult stretch for the Coyotes in the regular season, just in terms of quality of, of opponent. I mean, that back-to-back where you're playing Vegas and Colorado, they don't have a choice, but they're probably going to have to go to Presbyterian, like you said, Craig, and that is brutal. His first two games will be against Colorado when Colorado's playing the way they are. You know, and you look at the goaltending, too, and, and – you know, I know the Coyotes have been hopeful for a return sooner rather than later of Darcy Kemper. Um, I think it's probably close. Um, unfortunately, it's not going to be by uh, Monday night in Colorado. Um, potentially later in the week, but but soon. I would see. I wouldn't be surprised to see Kemper in the net in the next ten days, yeah. and that's a huge boost to this lineup that has continually found spots in the lineup and during this season to get a little bit of a boost. Whether it's adding a bunting to the lineup and giving you a boost, everybody's kind of you know taking turns at injecting some energy into this lineup, and I think Darcy Kemper is going to do that in spades here in the next 10 days. Let me ask you this, Steve. If, if they manage to get a split in Vegas, um, maybe maybe say say they get managed somehow to get three points out of these next three games. Do you bring Kemper back if he's ready on Wednesday, or do you maybe hold him out and come back in that first game at home against St. Louis? You know, the, it's, it's tough. The thought process is going to be if he's physically ready to play and healthy enough to play, he will play the game he is ready for. That's my belief. Um, if it's Minnesota, he's healthy and he can't get injured any worse or make it any worse. I think they get him playing. You got to get him up and running and there's only so many games left to play and he needs that game experience. Now, throwing him in against Minnesota, his old team on the road at the end of a nine day trip, clearly not ideal. Um, so if there's any, inkling that there may be some issues physically yeah they'll probably hold them off until they come home against st louis they've had some he's had some bad juju against the wild yeah, too. he has he <laughs> has but you look at this next four days too these four games and I, i've been looking at the matchups of the four teams battling for the spot the kings the sharks the blues and the coyotes and of those four teams the team we've put last of that bunch most of the season has been the Sharks and their next four games are two against the Kings and two against the Ducks I mean they potentially get six seven or eight points there they can vault themselves back into this thing for a team that I I had not given any credit uh, as being part of this playoff race until now so um, unfortunately for them they finish off with a lot of Golden Knights and a lot of Avalanche so their finish is much tougher but Sharks will be part of the conversation if they can get, um, you know, six or seven points here in the next eight. I think the thing to watch there is how these California teams have just, they've brutalized each other. There's, there's those rivalries are, I mean, Coyotes fans think of the Kings as their rival. They probably think of Vegas now, but those California teams have a legitimate rivalry where odd things can happen in those games. Uh, as far as Aiden Hill, he's started eight in a row. I don't know if you guys saw this stat. The next closest guy in the NHL right now is Connor Hellebuck. Has started five in a row for the Jets. The, the Coyotes don't have a choice, and Aiden Hill has won six of those eight starts. But specifically, I mean, to what you guys were saying, if, if you could pick when you bring Kemper back, that St. Louis game a week from tomorrow is the most important game the rest of this regular season, isn't it? And then I would also I would, I would piggyback on top of that. You know, Colorado and Vegas are both really good teams, obviously. Coyotes have played Vegas really well this season. I mean, they've, they've gotten points from Colorado too, but just in terms of the eye test, that last game against Vegas was forever ago, but that, that was a goal that probably shouldn't have counted that William Carlson scored and then Vegas won one nothing. So it, it's not inconceivable. They can take points from Vegas. It's just that second game against Colorado in the second half of a back to back. That just seems inhumane to even make them play that. Hmm. Um, looking at, we have to at least talk about the fact that they had 
four hat tricks in the span of nine games. <laughs> That's, I don't know what you do with that. Yeah. And some Billy of them. Labushkin's first NHL goal. Yeah. I mean, they are, they're <laughs> getting offense. So, Petey, what is, what is that thought process in, as far as the, the coaching uh, on any team, really? I mean, we've heard Rick Tockett say you want to get closer to that three goal threshold. And certainly with the goaltending the Coyotes have, and I, we can include Aiden Hill in that at this point too. When this team gets to three goals, man, they win almost, it, it just feels like they win like eight, nine out of 10 games. Yeah. You know, you, from the coaching room, you need to get, it's statistically, that's just what it looks like. When you, when you give up less than three goals against average in this league, you want to have that number below three. So if you score three and your goalie can hang on, you have a better chance of winning. What the Coyotes are doing now is they're getting scoring from unexpected places. And to make a good playoff run, that's going to have to continue. Unfortunately, you're going to have to see some of their key Offensive players start to warm up and heat up a little bit. You know, Connor Garland's going to have to start putting the puck in the net again, like he did earlier in the season. I think that's going to be imperative um, for this last part of the season. We talked about bunting. I think he's injected something, not only offense, he's some energy. Like I, I know the kid practices hard. He works hard every shift. You know, a lot of the things we said about Connor Garland are also true for Michael Bunting. So I think he's pushing his teammates along. Uh, I do believe though they got to get more scoring um, from their top six than what they've been getting lately. Wanted to ask you guys about sort of what you just said there, PD. The, the similarities between Michael Bunting and Connor Garland. We've seen them play on the same line together a little bit here. We've seen them, the, you know, play pretty well together. Obviously, they've they've spent time together in Tucson. Not to say Michael Bunting is going to do in his career what Connor Garland has done over the last couple of years, but it does seem like there are similarities just in the sense that they both kind of come in mid-season, Garland a couple of years ago, and made an impact for this team. And they've done it really by being willing to go to the net and take abuse in front of the net and score goals that aren't pretty. Yeah. And that's, that's, I mean, that's more Michael Bunting's game than it is Connor Garland's game. That was Connor Garland made that decision because Rick Tockett yeah, kept telling him we have nobody doing this right now. So he's like, okay, maybe I'll try this. And suddenly, that's uh, why he's here. Fly- yeah, pucks were, pucks were flying off body parts and. He had early success, um, but that's, I mean, he talked about at, at the beginning of the season, he talked about becoming more of a distributor like he had been in the past and he's done that, but this is Michael Bunting's bread and butter. This is always who he's been. He's always been that agitator, that guy that goes to the dirty areas, the guy that is net front. So yeah, and they, they obviously they needed it. And you're right. That's why he's here too. Um, this, this has been a much needed presence for them in the lineup. Now, can he sustain this? I don't know. Can, can you sustain consistency? That's the biggest question for young guys always, really for NH, 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 well, I can't say that NHL player. Yeah, you're right, Craig. NHL, and I think the new league. From the coaches room that they're going to be looking for what his energy level is going to be like over these next three games in, in four nights. I think it's going to be, you know, a, a true test in the American League. You're not playing this many games over this time period as you are up here in the NHL. And he's getting a significant amount of ice right now. Um, how, how does that weather on him over the next few games? Um, you know, he's, He's an interesting kid. He's determined. He works hard. And one thing you can continually do to make yourself better is work hard. I mean, a skilled player can't magically get skilled tonight. And when they have an off night, you can't just will skill to happen. You can will work. You can will hard work. So I think that's an advantage for, for bunting. I think he can work hard. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious to see how he does against a little heavier team in Vegas. Um, and in three games and four nights against good competition to see if he can sustain some of that. The job Rick Tockett has done this season has been, I think, remarkable. I mean, when you look at, at the injuries this team has had, the, you know, their lineup compared to some of the other lineups in this division that they are facing, 
I, a big part of that has clearly been the influx of, of guys from Tucson stepping up at the NHL level and contributing, whether it's Aiden Hill, whether it's Michael Bunting in years past, Connor Garland, Lawson Krause spent a lot of time. I mean, there's a lot. I could, I could rattle off a lot more names than I think we would have anticipated at the start of the year. How important is that, especially in a season like this, to not only have you know your head coach getting the most out of his players, but that development at the AHL level where guys are able to step in when they have to in the middle of a playoff race? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to write about this for Sunday. I actually have a big piece coming. But, you know, Petey, from the inside, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I think one of the, the things that this organization has done well is the relationship between the coaching staff of Arizona and Tucson. I think um, that has helped make these development moves much easier. They play similar systems. They communicate often. You know, the, the American League coaches have a lot of input on how these moves are made, guys that are getting called up. Um I think that relationship has helped. And I think that's made for easier transitions for these players. And honestly, you got to give a lot of credit to the coaches down there in Tucson. That's tough. It's mm-hmm. a tough job down there. And you know what? This staff this year, and they're kind of shorthanded. You know, they took Jay Verity and moved them into this staff, and they didn't replace them. You know, it's just Podfin and Slaney. And, and I tell you what, those two, they're good teachers. They're good with these kids. They're well-liked amongst the players. And they've done a really good job of teaching. Um People might be surprised to know. I, you see Rick talking on the bench, and he's got that gruff, you know, demeanor. But but he really prides himself on being a teacher. He likes the one-on-one time with players. That's when he thrives. Whether it's on the ice after practice, taking times with you know uh, a Keller or a Schmaltz or a Fisher, and taking the one-on-one time and working on a particular skill, or inside the locker room with the computer and video. He really prides himself as a teacher. Um, I don't know if people see him as that, but I think he has been a big key in developing some of these younger players and having them get get immersed in the game more quickly. When I look at the Tucson thing, there's one concern that I have. Like I agree with all the things that you said, and, and obviously this was the goal long ago when Dave Tippett was still here that they – they wanted to create that synergy between the two organizations. They wanted the proximity so you could get guys, shuttle guys back and forth quickly and frequently. All of those things have worked out for them. As you mentioned, they brought Jay Verity up this year. So they only have two coaches right now, although they're, they're video guys on the ice with them too. But you got two guys who, who basically have, you know, have been around the game a long time and have the experience to do this. And then you don't have a GM down there either. I wonder what the Coyotes are going to do moving forward with the AHL. This was a weird season, shortened. You've got taxi squad guys, so they're working with the NHL club anyway. But long term, I, I worry and I wonder if that's sustainable. You can't. You, I don't think you can have just two coaches in the AHL and no GM. I don't think there's as much communication between the two teams this year, and that could be a problem going forward. Yeah, I think they're going to have to make a change. Clearly, all of this came up because of the COVID shortened season in, in both leagues. And at some point, there were they weren't even sure if there was going to be an American League season. So I, I think there were changes made just prior to the NHL season starting with bringing up Jay Verity that caused those holes down in Tucson. But no, that's clearly not sustainable for the future, and it's not a good development model with have, without having a general manager dedicated there and that third coach. I think both of those things will be resolved over the summer. Um, I know there's some contracts coming due, and there will be some changes probably in both organizations, but um, definitely down in Tucson, there's got to be at least an addition. Yeah. Petey, back to what you were saying about Tockett's ability to work one-on-one with these guys and, and his willingness and the fact that he likes to do it. 
How much of that do you think contributes? Because I've always wondered this really for the last couple of years. It seems like Rick Tockett will say something in the postgame comments and he'll be like, hey, we, we need to turn the puck over less in the neutral zone or we need to be going to the net or we need to have guys sticking up for other guys. If, if some, And then this team responds by doing it within a game or two and they do it pretty consistently. I just, I, there's not, I, I don't notice it as much. And obviously I'm not watching other teams as closely, but even in years past, how quickly this team responds by at least trying to do what he's saying. It's not like he's going out there and said, we have to win the next three games and they win the next three games. But in terms of little things where it's like, we need to focus on this. You can see it. It's, it's noticeable within the next game or two that these guys really do listen to what he's preaching. Yeah. And one of the things he did look early in his career here, when I, and I, I mean, his first 20 games in Arizona, he came in from one of the best teams in the league with a lot of talent, with the Pittsburgh Penguins, Stanley Cup champions, and he came to Arizona, and Arizona wasn't in that spot when he came in. He started off frustrated that first 20 games and and continually tried to fix five, six, ten things a day, um, and it was hard. And, and actually, the team started to go backwards. That first 20 games here was incredibly difficult um, under Rick Tocca's tenure. But what he started to do is he started to recognize, okay, I can't fix ten things today. I can fix one. If I fix that one thing, then next week I can fix the second thing. So what he's been able to do over his last three years is find the one thing or maybe two things. What is it most important that we need to fix before our next game? And he drills it into these guys on the ice, in the video room, and one-on-one. And you're right. You do see that the very next day that problem is resolved. And he's always believe that he tries to whittle away at one of these problems at a time. Um, and I think that's part of the success he has and why you see those short-term gains um, under a Rick Tockett team. I want to add one thing to this, because I obviously wrote about Rick Tockett's future today and, and discussed all the roster deficiencies that, you know, anybody reasonable can see on this team. But there's also this thought out there with the fan base that Rick Tockett has lost the locker room. And first off, you're not in the locker room. So how would you know that? They're Second, in a playoff spot. I know, I know. Sorry, go ahead. It's crazy to hear some of the stuff that you hear. But Mr. Kander himself, who's not not shy about talking about anything, when I brought this up with Connor Garland in a recent conversation, he said, that's just silly. (laughs) He just dismissed it out of hand, just said it's it's absolutely not true. So, look, you can say, oh, a player's not going to tell you, but – Connor Garland isn't shy about speaking his mind, so that that carried some weight when he, especially with how much he emphasized it to me when I brought it up. Yeah, I'm surprised. Like, you know, I haven't been inside that locker room for six months now, so I don't know what's going on specifically today. Um, but Rick Tockett is a guy that's been in those locker rooms for a very long time as a player, as an assistant coach, and as a head coach. Um, he's very aware of the pulse of the room. He's very aware of the way guys are feeling. Are they tired? You know, what do they need today? Um, that would surprise me. I, I don't, he's not a particularly difficult coach to get along with or to talk to. Yeah. Um, again, the public perception is he's a big, tough guy. Surely there's an element of that, but he listens. He doesn't always agree. But he's always a guy that's there to listen and talk to the players one-on-one. He really likes that one-on-one time. So to hear that, I'd be very surprised. Um, uh, I look at what this team has done this year uh, with surprise. I mean, we're if you would have told me that they would have missed both goaltenders for the middle of the season for over a month, um, injuries in and out of the lineup, calling guys in and out from, from Tucson and the taxi squad, and being – in a playoff position, I would have said no. 
So you have to, no matter how you look at this, you do have to look at coaching as being a part of that. Most analysts were saying at the start of the season with a healthy roster, this was not a playoff team. Yeah, absolutely correct. See, I feel like on this show. We didn't even think Minnesota was going to be good at that time. Yeah, that's the thing. I feel like on this show, and Craig, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like when we made our predictions, we both had the Coyotes in as the four seed. But yes. that was that was this that was with the thought that Darcy Kemper would be healthy, and if he wasn't, that Auntie Ranta would step in to have to go to this. Yeah, I mean the the, the two wild cards here are that Minnesota is really good, and the Coyotes are doing this with their number three goalie. Like with all due respect to Jacob Chikrin and what he's done, and what Connor Garland has done, and I'm not taking all the credit away from the players, but Rick Tockett and his coaching has to be in the top three reasons this team is in a playoff spot with less than a month to go. Yeah, we're talking about Rick Tockett, and I think we're talking about, well, you know, is his job secure? Where is his contract status? And I, a little jest here, but we should be talking about coach of the year with, with some of the things he's done with this team. The other thing when he came in, he wanted to continually build on what we had in the previous year, what he had. I apologize. Um, so the first year they struggled. Made a little run at the playoffs towards the end of the year on, you know, anti-Ranta got hot. They a little bit of a run. The second year, they were two points out of a playoff spot with Dallas. Third year, they make the playoffs. And this year, they're on the verge of making the playoffs again. So he's done what he accomplished, set out to do here, is continually grow on something from the previous year. And that's not with big roster improvements or spending a lot of money or making a lot of big changes. It's just guys buying into the way this team has to play to win. So I, I think you really do have to take a look at what's gone on behind the bench to the success that this team has had. It's like the only example of linear progression, Craig, in the league. They've gotten better each year. <laughs> See, this another inside Natty Hattie joke. Like, another. It's mind-numbing to me that they say he hasn't progressed. Exactly what PD just said. Remember that first season? Remember when they didn't win a game in the first month of the season? By the way, I remember that, Craig. That was that was not fun. I don't know if you remember that. Go back to Philly, two goal lead with a minute to go. You go, oh my gosh, we're finally finally going to win a game. Gave up two goals in the final minute. Like you you can't. Invest and I were sitting down in the media room. We're like, hey, they're finally going to go in that bang bang. And we're like, oh, like, are you kidding me? And that's why we say this often when you're losing. You keep losing, and when you're winning, you keep winning. You find ways to continue the ball rolling down the hill, and and that's why I know they're coming into a tough four game stretch. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if if the Oats come out with some points over these next four games. That that Philly game, I just from from the perspective of doing the post game show, I was like, okay, I finally, you know, I got a win to talk about here. It's I'm already kind of like spinning things forward in my head like okay well it's still early in the season new coach relatively new team too and then that happened and like all right post game show starts in two minutes i was like oh <laughs> cool um anything else on the coyotes ty emberson you want to talk about him real quick craig his, his really is now yeah i mean he's a he's a u-dub guy so I've, I've got a special connection to him we actually i had him on the phone uh the day that they announced it he was already in tucson sitting in his hotel room in quarantine and as he put it without a clue of what's going on in this town or what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> he's a, he's a really personable guy. Actually I had a great conversation with him. We talked about bars in Madison, including the Essen house, which has live polka. And I, uh, I, I queried him just, I, I wanted to know if actually if people still went there and he goes, dude, I have an Essen house t-shirt in my suitcase right now. So oh. that made me feel good. It may have, he may have just been pandering, but it made me feel good, but what they're getting in this guy, we'll see. He's a right-handed defenseman. He's big. He can bring a physical element. So those are good things. Those are things that the Coyotes need. Um, whether he can develop into an NHL player, we'll see. But I had a good chat with his coach, Tony Granato, 
who just loves the kid's character, said he's miles ahead of most guys when he hit pro hockey because of all those things, all of those off the ice things. He was Wisconsin's captain. He helped drive this team from a last place finish when he arrived in the Big Ten to winning the Big Ten title this year and making the NCAA tournament. Um, again, there's a lot of development here, but I, I did talk to some scouting people as well who think he has second pair potential. He could be that second pair guy on the right side that protects an offensive defenseman. So we'll see how it goes, but an intriguing prospect. Yeah, and right-handed defensemen are at a premium. Amen. In the National Hockey League. So he's a guy with some size. You know, not a big offensive output, um, but he can defend well, big and strong, good stick in the defensive zone. You know, is, is he a guy that partners with Kyle Capobianco right away? I, possibly. Um, I'm excited to see how the kid develops. And you're right, there's definitely room on the right side in, in the Arizona organization. Live poker. I can't get past the live poker, Craig. I didn't even know that. His, his I didn't either. I went there, no they went there with a team, like 15 guys went there. And the Essen House is this crazy German restaurant in Madison. If you know Madison, there's a lot of Germans, a lot of Scandinavian uh, immigrants that, that basically settled the town. Essen House is like no bar you've ever been in. They have mustard, uh, like seven different types of mustard that you can eat with warm pretzels. They have beer that they serve if you come with a group in these giant glass boots and you just pass the boot from person to person at these wooden benches. So it feels like you're in this German pub. They've got live polka going in the corner. And he said, you know, by the end of the night, you know, I was there with some teammates and we were dancing with grandmothers. (laughs) (laughs) Must be something in the mustard. Uh, all right, let's go around the NHL here a little bit, and then we'll get into listener questions. I uh, will remind you to rate and review the show. You can follow us at the Natty Hattie on Twitter. Um, the trade deadline, guys, it's only a couple days away. We've seen a few moves, not anything big yet. The Islanders seem to be the only real active team right now. And, and I mean, I, we should look at this from the Coyotes' perspective too, I guess. I mean, you're in a playoff spot, so I don't know that you can really sell, but you can't really buy, so you just kind of – Blackhawks you... did make a trade, Luke. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're in your house. You should have that big bell. I know. Should I? Should I go away while you guys discuss the Islander trade and get? Yeah, I think I can. I can. Yeah, I can't make that sound anymore on this microphone. So yeah, you're gonna have to find the bell. Yeah, for right now, there's only been one trade of note, and that is the Islander trade. I think they fulfilled the need with the injury to Lee. Um, you know, and I'll be honest, he, Lee is, Anders Lee was one of their leading scorers on the right side. Um, that was an effective goal scorer, and I, I wouldn't have been surprised if Connor Garland wasn't on their radar. Um, and as the Coyotes continue to ascend the playoff standings, maybe that, that was a guy that might not be available. So I think they went with another, you know, right-handed goal scoring forward with Carl Palmieri. So I think, you know, that's the biggest marquee trade so far. It's hard to say if I think there'll be a lot of action yet. There's still some needs out there. The biggest issue is the teams that are towards the top of the standings have the least amount of cap space, you know, Vegas and, and Tampa, even Edmonton, I don't expect to make any moves. Um, but there's teams, I think Toronto will make a move. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And Winnipeg, a team that I had as a dark horse last week, just had an injury to Blake Wheeler. I think they're going to have to make a move. Florida, one of the other dark horse teams I had um, with Ekblad getting injured on the back end, I believe they're going to have to make a move. And if the Bruins... They cleared space. Yeah, they did. So, and, and with the Bruins, um, I still think they're a, they're a top six forward away from making a push too. So there are teams that are looking, and we've the the elephant in the room, the Colorado Avalanche, need a goalie. Have to. So there's still going to be some moves here. Um, I don't think as many in a regular season, 
you know, in non-COVID shortened season, but there are still going to be some big moves. Henrik, did, you, Henrik, did you get your bell? Did you get your bell, Craig? <laughs> Is that your trade deadline bell? <laughs> Is that it? It's a little bigger than the cowbell that I use for uh, the Blackhawks usually. Um, oh, wow. I have that because we're not in the studio, so... Yeah, this is the, the genesis of this, PD, is anytime the Blackhawks did anything that would frustrate Craig, Jamie and I would bring it up repeatedly to the point where he started ringing this little, like it was a Chick-fil-A cowbell that had been left in our studio. And I, I think you just started ringing it to get us to shut up, basically. Yeah, and to prevent myself from saying something that I might regret. So I just rang the bell instead. Well, they and made you- two trades in a week, Craig, bolstering their offense. So we'll see. Holstering, I don't know what. Vinny Henestrosa's back in oh, Chicago. And I, listen, I like Vinny, and I, I love his agent, Pete Rutilli. He's a great guy, but, I mean, uh, Vin, Vinny's not going to do much. No. To I'm not sure Henrik Borgstrom is ever going to become anything. He's, he had a decent season in the uh, in the uh, Finnish league, but yeah, former first-round pick. I mean, but, you know, you, you could say a former first-round pick, but he was a 23rd overall pick, and we know how yes. those picks pass 10 or 15 you know, the, the percentage of them panning out. There are a lot of guys that are just plain misses in those. The, big, the biggest guy we're still waiting to hear is, is where does Taylor Hall end up? You know, this will be his, his third team in, in 12 months or fourth. And I don't know my math, but he, I see him going to a non-playoff team because that's what he seems to like. <laughs> wow. We're going yeah, to a team I honestly don't know. the playoffs. Does he go to Toronto? Do they go all in? Oh, that would be, that would be fun. Toronto. Oh, yeah, I want to see Taylor Hall succeed. Go all in when you're in this situation, don't you? I, I hate these teams that just say, "Oh, well, we didn't want to, you know, we don't want to give up." To you're playing to win the cup. I feel like yeah. we're Medwards here. And yeah. You play to win the cup. When your window is open, you go for it. Yeah. You have to go for it. And the same thing goes for Colorado. I don't care if you lose a really good goalie in the expansion draft. You have a chance to win the cup now. Go for it. Yep, I agree. And I, and I know I, I'm not familiar with everybody's cap space and I probably should be, but I think there's a little bit of room in Toronto. Um, and they're very creative there. They're going to make a splash. They want to win this year. This is an opportunity. They're in first place in that North division. This is their chance. I think they make the biggest splash of the trade deadline. The, uh, the Colorado one to me is the most glaring because it's not like at least, okay, we wanted to get a forward and we couldn't get a forward, but we've got 12 other forwards. Maybe we can make it work. Colorado is right there. I think we all agree they're on the short list of what, like three or four cup favorites. And I, I think they're better than Toronto. They just have a tougher path probably than Toronto does. If you just leave that backup goalie spot exposed because you don't, you don't want to lose something down the line, you legitimately could be throwing away a Stanley Cup this year. Like that, it, it's not usually that cut and dry, but it really is. Like, what if Philip Grubauer misses a couple games in the playoffs and you got to go to whoever? Or yeah, worse, he just gets hurt and he's out. Yeah. Not, you got and, Jojo Rabbit in goal for you. I mean, remind. And, and Grubauer's not Terry Sawchuk there. I know he's got great numbers right now, but he gave up eight against Minnesota in under 20 shots last week. I mean, exactly. so let's, I mean, Grubauer's numbers are great. But he's got a really good team in front of him. I, it's it's their Achilles heel. We've talked about it for over a year, and it's still a problem. I I I, I can't imagine they wouldn't be going after a goalie. And for the Coyotes, if it wasn't for Ranta and Kemper's injuries, those two would be right at the top of of the you know the trade deadline wish list for the Colorado Avalanche. So for Coyotes fans down the stretch, maybe it's you know silver lining to Kemper's injury is he's still going to be here uh, on April thirteenth. Let's talk about a couple. Yeah, I mean, it obviously gives them their best chance to win next year too. Let's um, let's, a couple of these Canadian teams. 
We have to start with the Oilers going 9-0 and against Ottawa. Uh, the, the stat is McDavid and Dreisaitl each had 21 points in those games. Dave Tippett's quote was great afterwards of, like, people saying, well, yeah, you're just beating up Ottawa. Well, if it's so easy, why hasn't anybody else done it, right? right. Exactly. 9-0 and is something. That's yeah. I mean, that is taking care of business against the team you're supposed to throttle. That's yeah, I, I, surprisingly enough, though, and I did spend a lot of time watching Ottawa last week, that's a team on – on the upside. I mean, that's a good hockey team, good young team. I mean, we're not clearly their last in the North. I'm not trying to overstate where they're at, but they've got a lot of young talent there. They play fast. They're exciting to watch. Their goaltending is a huge problem um, that once they get that resolved, they're a team that I think two years from now we'll be talking about um, as a, as a playoff team. I think they're that good. Edmonton, it's, Drysdale McDavid, as the Coyotes would go into Edmonton every game, we said from the coaching, if you can keep McDavid and Drysdale off the score sheet, you have the better chance to win. We would focus our team meeting, our practices, and everything around McDavid and Drysdale. And I know you you don't want to overstate their value, but you saw what they did to Ottawa. So when we kept them off the score sheet, we, the Coyotes, sorry, I do that a lot have it the coyotes kept them off the score sheet they had a better chance to win so i'm surprised that ottawa didn't do a better job of staying on top of them or defending them a little bit better through the neutral zone surprised me it added brad richardson just for those games (laughs) let's bring him back pd is it is it always that extreme i mean mcdavid has 69 points this year dry has 61 the next closest guy in the entire nhl is patrick kane with 51 i mean those two it's, it's not just against ottawa i would assume Every team, even if you are Toronto and you have Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, your entire game plan still has to be on just slow those two down because if you do, you're going to win. It is. It is their thing. Stay out of the penalty box because on the power play, all five guys on the ice are dangerous. But five on five, it's McDavid and Drysaddle. And it, it, it's to the point where you're starting to play peewee hockey where you put man on man and just follow them. Even in the offensive zone, you have to stay on top of them. And I think teams forget that. You know, you, we always, tried to stay above McDavid, even in the offensive zone. Because once that puck turns over, he's gone, and you can't give him those opportunities. So you're right. Without McDavid and Dreisaitl, Edmonton's a pretty average hockey team in the North Division. Um, with them, they have as good a chance as anybody to win, win the division. Eddie Olchek told me that Connor McDavid is one of a handful of players he's ever seen who actually seems faster when he has the puck on his stick. Yeah. And, and he does. <laughs> and he seems to get faster each year, too. Uh, last one on that, too. Just in general, Petey, what's what's your uh, your feeling on, you know, if you have two players like that? Like we saw it with the Blackhawks when they had Kane and Taves and when the Penguins had Crosby and Malkin. In the playoffs, are you better off splitting them up and having two lines or just put them together and see what happens? I think it's going to be a feel for the coaching staff. And one thing Dave Tippett's really good at is making changes game to game. Mm-hmm. I think it will be depending on who your opponent is, what their defensive matchups can be. You might do something different at home than you do on the road because you've got different changes. Um, but right now they're rolling together. So you probably see that continue until they're not. Um, you, you, you'd like to have that one-two punch, but when you put them out there every time together, good grief, you can score every time their skates at the ice, you have an opportunity to score. So I, I think you'll see both throughout the playoffs, depending on who their opponent is and what their, uh, you know, what their line matchups look like. And we'll definitely be changing that up. Craig, the team that, that maybe confuses me more than any other team this year is, is the Calgary Flames. And with the talent that they have, and I, 
I mean, I think Brad Tree Living has done an excellent job putting together a, a roster that should be in the playoffs every year. I know goaltending's been a question, but other than that, they're probably not going to make the playoffs this year. I mean, what do they do at this point? That's a really good question. I, I don't know. Look, look, I don't think that they have gotten the production from the center position that they envisioned when they built this roster, and that's that's a problem. But I think in long term, you know, I know Brad signed that extension. I think he has two years left on that. I, I have to wonder about his uh, future in Calgary because they, they just, as we've seen, it's just up one year, down the next, up one year, down the next. There's a lot of inconsistency with his team. Um, and again, I, I do agree that he's, he's put together a lot of uh, good pieces on this team and they haven't had draft luck either. They haven't, they haven't had the opportunity to draft those elite guys. So that plays into all of this, but man, the expectations there are pretty high and, and this team is clearly underachieving this season. Yeah, and I think what you see when you made that coaching move to add Daryl behind the bench out of retirement, that to me is, that's a pretty bold move. Did the last gas, Petey? Yeah, I, I really think it is. That'll be the fifth head coach under Brad, um, true living. And I mean, you hate to say it, but the next, the, the next arrow is probably coming his way. Um, if this team didn't make the playoffs and now it doesn't look like that they're, they are, um, Brad's a great guy. Uh, he, he did a lot of good things for me when he was here in Arizona. He's well respected around the league. Um, he'll land on his feet. I just don't know if he's going to survive here in Calgary. I, I know that that's typically how it works. And I understand at a certain point as an owner, you're probably looking and saying, okay, well, it's, it, we got to make a change and you can't be coached this time. It's got to be GM. But I just, I don't know what changing the GM is going to do to help. He's, he makes that trade for Lindholm. He's able to draft Kachuk. I mean, they have Goudreau, Monahan. Signs Markstrom. Better. Yeah. Like, I just don't know what else he could do. And, and like, I don't know that moving on from him suddenly makes them good next year. Yeah, I don't think that's not necessarily the right move. I just know that's how yeah. the sports world works. You need changes, and they can't change the coach. They just signed him to a three-year deal. So that can't change again. Um, I think he's done a great job up there. I think it's a good hockey team that's just had a bad year. Yeah, um, so I just, I've always been underwhelmed with Sean Monaghan. I don't think he has been the impact player that they thought he could be at the top of that lineup. And if, if he had panned out, we could be talking about a different team. Did that, they make a move at the trade deadline? Did they get rid of some of those top end yeah, guys? Yeah, see, that's that's where I was kind of going with this. Even if they're going to make other moves, they have to change players, right? Yeah, I think they do at this point. Look, you, it, it hasn't worked for all this time. You haven't really had a – even if, though they've made the playoffs, can you really say that Calgary is knocking on the door? You can't. So, yeah, you probably have to look at making some changes there. They're definitely mi- missing the playoffs this year. I mean, Montreal has three games in hand. If they just go 500, they're 11 points up on Calgary with 16 games in the season. It's it's not happening for Calgary. That division's decided. It's done. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Craig, you have this in the notes, and the exact phrasing is drilling down on goal differential, which sounds like a, like a class that you could take up in Canada or something. Well, I wrote a little bit about it today. We talked about it briefly on the last podcast. We, you and I have talked about this with Jamie on past podcasts on how important goal differential is in figuring out who's going to make the playoffs, but, but Petey really drilled down on it, so I'm just going to give him the floor here. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's the biggest indicator on who makes the playoffs, the, 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 Plus minus goal differential. You can look at the last column on the NHL.com website and look for green or red. If you're green, you're more than likely going to be in. And if you're red, you're more than likely going to be out more than any other statistic other than points, clearly. 
I figured Craig would throw that in. Um, <laughs> and we've talked about when it used to be the, the Western and Eastern conferences, there was 144 playoff teams since the year 2000, only three teams with a negative goal differential made the playoffs. That's a staggering number. Um, so I went deeper than that. I wanted to see how those teams did once they got into the playoffs. So I went both, both East and West and how those teams have done over the last 10 years. Surprisingly, two teams with a negative goal differential both made it to the conference finals. Montreal in 2010 and Ottawa in 2017. So having said that it's hard to make it. Once you're in, you're in. So, you know, if the Coyotes can get in with a negative goal differential and Darcy Kemper is healthy, all bets are off. I know it's, you look at the Vegas, Colorado, um, Dave and Goliath matchups, but you never know when a goaltender's playing well. Um, I'm, I'm also curious to see how much that goal differential shrinks over the next 15 games because whatever team gets in is clearly going to be winning more than they're losing. So that number is going to get smaller. Now, does it get all the way down to zero? I, I'm not sure. Well, and I know at least one of those teams you just referenced that, that got in with a negative and then went deep was that 2010 Montreal team. I mean, Yaroslav Halak played out of his mind, right? That's the same, that's the, that's that team. I believe they went through. The Capitals and the Penguins. Yeah, Capitals, Penguins, and they lost to Philly in the in the final in the conference finals, four games to one. You're right, yeah. and and it is it's a goaltender that can carry you there. So as Coyote fans start to watch that, watch it, see if that number can dissolve. And Craig pointed it out in in one of his stories that they're actually a plus two against the rest of the Western um, Division and minus fourteen. Craig, is that right? Against Colorado. Against Colorado. So really. You know, you throw those games out, and I know you can't throw those games out, but but they're a lot closer to that that magical zero of goal differential than than it appears. What it makes you wonder is if we were in a normal season where they didn't have to play Colorado eight times, would the Coyotes be a plus right differential you, team? You play them four times instead of eight. You're right. Yeah, I'm so glad that they get to move to Colorado's division next year after they've shown this dominance over these California well, teams. At least it's logical geographically to put them in the central. <laughs> yes. Oh. When I when I think Phoenix, Arizona, I definitely think Central United central States. Of yeah. course. Uh, Vancouver, real quick on them. I mean, I, what do we do with the Canucks at this point? Fortunately, it's not our our uh, our issue to resolve. But I mean, they can't play again for a while. And and what do you are you going to hold up the season now at this point for them? What do you do? You can't hold up the season. Look, it's already been extended to May 11th, and that's. I mean, the Coyotes finish on the eighth, so you better hope that you're playing your first playoff game on the ninth if you're in, because nobody wants to sit for a week without playing a game. That's a huge disadvantage. So, in my mind, if you're going to, and, and I know you can't do this, if you're going to extend the season even more, you better extend it for other teams too, because that's that's just going to screw everything up if you make some teams sit around for a week so that the Vancouver Canucks can finish their season, which to me is pointless. They're not making the playoffs. Figure out how to rejigger that division, you know, go by winning percentage, whatever it is. It doesn't even matter at this point. We know the four playoff teams. If, if this extends beyond this week, it's just crazy to me to think about Vancouver even bothering to finish its season. Maybe you can come back and play some games, but to try and squeeze in all 56 games to me is just silly. Yeah, I don't think that can happen. I know the league right now has come out with a statement. They're adamant about Vancouver finishing a 56-game schedule. Uh, when you look at it mathematically and you pull out a calendar, it, with that completion of the season date set, they're going to play 19 games in 22 days. 
You can't. So what are your options? They talked about having their American League guys finish the season. Well, they got 21 guys right now on the COVID list. So you don't have enough players to replace that. So that's not possible. The biggest issue to me isn't even the completion of the season. It's the health of these kids. Like yep, yeah. they're, you know, from the reports you read, there are people that are sick. So I, even if they were to come back in the season, they haven't, they will go three weeks without playing three weeks without touching the ice. How, how is that team going to compete? And are they open to bigger injuries? And are they going to be healthy enough to play? Those are the discussions that we should be having. And I, and I don't think it's fair to have someone that's been off the ice and been sick and make them play a game within 48 hours of them coming back onto the ice. I have no idea how they make this happen. I think the only way is to say, hey, we're going to call it. This is season over. We're going to play the rest of the division games, and we're going to do it by winning percentage. That's the only way I can see this working. Yeah, because, I mean, on top of what you're saying there, it's it's not just, okay, you guys have been sick for a while, now you're going to have to come back and play. Like you said, Petey, now you have to play, what, every night? I mean, that's that wouldn't that's not right, even if, if you're at full strength. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. I mean, uh, Craig, as you said, the division's pretty much decided anyway. I, I know if you're a player on the Canucks, you're like, no, we can make this up. I mean, you're a competitor and you feel like you can, but uh, <laughs> this is such a just a unique, messed up circumstance. I, I don't. I know there's been talk about having the uh, the other the American divisions just start the playoffs on time, but then at some point, you know, you're putting whoever wins that Canadian division at a disadvantage potentially when you get to the final four. So yeah, you'll have to see know. over the next week how how this comes to pass. Like if if more guys are coming off the COVID list and they can get enough players to fill a roster um, from the American League in their taxi squad, and they can play play games by April 16th. I think they may start, but I, I just cannot see them finishing a 56 game schedule. Let me just throw a, a tangent in here, by the way. If if Quinn Hughes finishes ahead of Jacob Chikrin in Norris Trophy voting, I'm going to rip the voting members. <laughs> yeah, you should. I know. I know. This was brought up to talk the other night, and he's like, "Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. I don't. I don't even want to put out there that that, that Chikrin should be uh, in the Norris conversation, but he should be in the conversation at this point. Right? Agreed. I mean, I understand he's not going to win it, but man, yeah. he's he should be. I'd have to take a deeper look at the rest of the league, and as we've said, it's going to be tougher for the voters this year because most people are only watching eight teams and not all 31, but I, I have Nine to think points second in goals. His expected goals is top five in the league. He plays in tough situations in all yeah. situations. The only thing I think people are going to look at his ice time and say, well, he's not playing as much as, and, and, and I know ice time matters, but Victor Hedman's playing two more minutes a game than them or whatever it is. Like if, if he were at 25 minutes a game, I'm not sure what the argument would be for not including him in your top five. He'll have more accolades to come. I mean, you know what? Yeah, I think he's, that too. Right? He's having his breakout season this year. People are He's on people's radar right now. Um, those things are going to come for Jacob Chicken for sure. Yeah. And it's tough when you're comparing somebody to Hedman because I don't think Hedman's actually human. Yeah, Hedman's going to win it. I mean, Victor Hedman's yeah. going to win it. And look, Adam Fox is having a terrific season too, but – when you start talking about the candidates for those like next three positions in the top five, there's a really strong argument to put Jacob Chikun in there. And I also, by the way, with the Quinn Hughes stuff, I also want to hear the end of the Drew Doughty stuff as a uh, Norris Trophy finalist. Please, no, he's not. He is not one of the top three defensemen in the league at this point. No, still dangerous, but no. I mean, let's. I think people just they they see a name and they recognize it, or you know, so much of it depends. It's on like the NFL team. Pro Bowl voting, doesn't it? It's yeah. like reputation for like five years beyond when you're good. 
All right, Craig, I'm going to let you make a decision here. Do we get to listener questions now, or do you want to talk about college free agents and how much you feel like that is an overhyped topic? I want to get Petey's. I mean, it is overhyped. It's clearly overhyped. There's so much, like every year I get so many readers. Are we going to sign college free agents? Are we going to, I think people mistake the interest by teams. Like, like 12, 12 teams are chasing a guy. Oh my God, this guy must be great. No, he's cost effective and he can provide you depth. That's why he's there. Very few of these guys even pan out, first of all. And we can name some of them. You know, you remember the Jimmy VC sweepstakes? I mean, it was nuts. I mean, he had a couple of good seasons, but now he's fallen off completely. These guys are generally not stars. They just provide you cost-effective depth. Yeah, difference, difference for Ty Emerson, who's a guy that was drafted by the Coyotes. He's been, you know, he's been a prospect for the Coyotes. He's been through our development coaches of the Coyotes. So, it's different than a free agent. And, and to give the listeners an example, the last four college free agent signings of the Arizona Coyotes oh. are, you ready? Oh. 2014, Greg Carey, total oh. NHL games, zero. Okay, I remember 2012, him. Scott Arnold out of Niagara. Surprisingly enough, that's the 2012 playoff run to the Western Conference Finals. His name is on the back of the T-shirt with all the players listed. Scott Arnold's name is on that shirt. (laughs) NHL total games played, zero. 2010, Josh London out of Alaska Anchorage, total NHL games played, zero. So you have to go all the way back to 2006 when the Coyotes – uh, signed Billy Thomas as a free agent out of Nebraska, Omaha, to a guy that actually played games in the league. He played 87 games total um, with three different teams. Um, he was a nice player, but by no means somebody that, that should warrant that kind of accolades and fighting that you see over these college free agents. So I'm going to agree with Craig. Kids that are drafted out of college that leave their teams early to join an NHL team is a much different situation than a college free agent. Right. I mean, there's some historically, you can look at an, an Adam Oates or a, an Eddie Belfour, a Martin San Louis. Those, those are the exceptions though, right? The Alex Ayafalo with the Kings right now yeah, is a yeah. good player. But then for every one of those guys, I mean, you can name a ton of guys. Yep. <laughs> Never even made it to the show. Yep. Yeah. All right. Let's get into some of these listener questions. And uh, Craig, you know, I have to start with this one now since you chastised one of our greatest fans. Uh, non-linear donut ball delivery. We'll start with him and his many questions. <laughs> One, can we make Coach Peters an official host? Who is this Jamie Eisner person that appears in the logo? Fair. Fair. I agree with that. We've yeah. discussed that. Yeah. We've discussed that. Okay. Thumbs up. Uh, two, can we get an update on T-shirts or any sort of merch? I can give you this update. This has been brought up to me a lot in the last week for some reason. When... When the regular season for hockey ends, I will be able to uh, drive a lot more of that, and it is one of my top priorities this offseason. Along with drops? No, that's not a priority. No. <laughs> not at it out right now. And by the um, way, PD is as permanent as he wants to be. So, it, it's, it's... <laughs> Yeah, but I have been looking at the logo, and I wouldn't be lying if I didn't say that was true. Not sure. Just uh, maybe, maybe making him question his future with the Natty Hattie. Maybe, maybe this is Petey. Maybe maybe Petey is nonlinear donut ball delivery. And, and by the way, a... this is the scariest part of the show. Like this oh, yeah. right now, because I literally have no. At least with Craig, I know we're going to talk hockey. This could be this could be anything. So I got to be on my toes okay. for, for listener here's, questions. Very concerned. Here's the here's a good one for you. Then, Coach East Jack, do you ever find yourselves giving friends and family their equivalent of hockey nicknames? I 
I would, I feel like Petey probably does this more than any of us because he's traveling around with an NHL team all those years. Everybody within the circle, I yes. mean, every single person on staff gets a nickname without question. You no longer know their names. That is 100% true statement. Like no one goes by their names. You don't even know some people's first name. And, and I look at Craig, you, you know, you talk about Griff or Bronco. I, I don't know what Bronco's name is anymore. I've been calling Bronco. He's now the travel guy of the, the, the Vegas Knights. He was the travel guy in Arizona for years. He's Bronco. And that's just life on the road. Um, with my friends and family, you know, not as much, although I do give people in my neighborhood nicknames if I don't know who they are. And that's, you know, <laughs> Not just based on, you know, we, we've given some golden girl nicknames out to some of our neighbors um, and things like that. But, but no, not, not necessarily to, to my close friends and family. We, we have more creative nicknames in my neighborhood. Oh, there's weed, there's weed guy over there. Oh, and there's, guy, there's Mr. T-Box guy. We have a guy in our neighborhood who basically has a, what looks like a, a T-Box for a front yard. It's, it's elevated grass. We have a wow. Is weed guy? Is he a landscaper, or is that based on something else? No, it's a, it's a, a landscaping issue. Okay, <laughs> I don't know about his habits. I, I've always this this came up actually in the press box the other night because because uh, because Christian Fisher and Lawson Krause both playing pretty well. And yeah. It's like it's hilarious because their names are Krause and Fisher, and their nicknames are Krauser and Fish to a lot of people. <laughs> well, and that's well, that's the last thing on this topic. I will say there needs to be a little bit more creativity. Oh. Shane, Shane Doan is donor. Oh, come on. You add an that, ER or a Y at the or end. A, y. a lot of Ys. Like Griff. That's, Chick, that's it. That's how, no, that's Jacob Chikrin is Chick. Like, right. yeah. Like Garland has been G or Gar. Like Gar, Gar's not a nickname. G, I, G's okay. He's okay. Like I, I asked him why, uh, you know, his, his uh, uh, warm-up song is, isn't uh, Dr. Dre's nothing but a G thing. Wow. <laughs> yeah. he, he's not really a hip-hop fan, so it didn't work so well when I suggested that. But what, you're right. Is, they need to be more creative with the next name. Nicknames. Little ball of hate. I, yeah, see, I like that. Yeah. That was, that was uh, Ray Ferraro, right? Rubik. Oh. What was Ray Ferraro had like a version? I think that was the, the nickname they gave him on TV when, once he got into like uh, reporting and doing stuff on TV. Um, I remember like, I think. Nicknames, right? It was like my second or third interview I ever did with the Coyotes, Keith Yandel. And it was post game, and it was right after they had brought in Mikel Bodker and Kevin Porter. Remember Kevin Porter? Yep. And so, uh, I mean, I didn't, I had talked to Yandel. I think that was the first time I ever talked to him. And this is all in the air. And he's like, uh, yeah, you know, we're really happy with Bods and Ports. And I was like, oh, and they just got here, right? So, like, you, I, you need more time, obviously, to work on the nicknames. And he just looked at me, he's like, no, they're Bods and Ports. <laughs> like, that's <just laughs> See, now, having said that, do you know what Keith Yandel's nickname is? Well, we know Yans, but there's probably an internal one. Yeah. There is. Can I say it? I think I can. You should oh. say it because here's the thing. Somebody told me this. I think it was Brad yeah. Richardson that told me there is an external list of nicknames that you guys hear, and then we have our own. So, <laughs> so he's internally known as Jelly because his initials are KY. Oh, no. I've heard this. So, I've heard this. So what's up, Jelly? So that was that's how you'd greet him in the morning. Yeah. What's up, Jelly? So, yeah. Anyway, but you're when, right. When Fisher's nickname, internal nickname, came out, it was it was kind of a shock to a lot of people that they, they called him Stinks because yeah, because yeah. Of the first year underwear issue on the road. Yeah, mm. I'll defer. Um, 
Let's see. Dangle Snipe Belly. Why are we so bad at face-offs? Is it lack of practice for them, lack of studying opponents' tendencies, or just not a skill our guys have? The latter. <laughs> you know, there, there's so that. many things going into a face-off win or loss, and unfortunately the center bears the brunt of that because that's only a statistic for him, but that's a much bigger team stat than people realize. When you when your wingers aren't holding up um, – their opponent wingers, you lose more faceoffs. It's a team stat. So one, the Coyotes haven't been as strong up the middle as other teams in the West Division this season. It's just the truth. Um, but you have to look at the way the whole team competes inside that faceoff circle. It's more of a team stat um, than it is just falling on the shoulders uh, of that centerman. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's a position they need to improve on. You need to have stronger, more experienced guys if that's an important stat. When you look at you know, Derek Stepan and Brad Richardson as part of your four, taking faceoffs every night, your numbers are going to be better. They're more experienced. They know their, their opponents better. They know their opponents' tendencies better. I will say with Christian Dvorak, he learned a lot from those guys. They would spend time prior to each game going through each of the opponents' faceoffs. And you can watch it, but when Derek Stepan would sit next to Christian Dvorak in a stall in the locker room and go over each center, you know, Derek Stepan would help him. Okay, look at this. Look how his feeder position. Look, I think that kind of growth and, and experience helps go a long way to winning faceoffs. And right now, you know, he's the most experienced centerman that, that this team has. He's no one else to follow. Um, you know, there is no Getzlaff in, in the middle for, for the Coyotes to, to lead no by coach. example. There's no real coach to teach that skill right now either, is there? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's, it is a hard skill. There is no question there's a skill to it. But I, I think the experience um, – they are lacking definitely leads to their lower percentage. Uh, I like this question from Nathan Pennington. What is the future leadership group in two to three seasons for the Coyotes, assuming the core stays the same? To me, Chikrin's a part of that. Has to be, yeah. Uh, I mean, I would say Garland, but I, I, assuming he's here, if Garland's here in two or three years, I would think he's part of that. I, I'm, I, I'm just looking over the current roster, and there's when you look at that, you got to see what the what moves are going to be down the road. Chikrin's definitely leading the way. Like he, he, to me, he's prepares the right way. He, he, he's a pro on and off the ice. He eats right. He exercises. He takes care of himself. He's a leader. Um, he wants to win and wants to compete and he wants to get better. So he's a part of that for sure. That next year, G, you know, G is a leader. G Garland, he works on the ice. And again, that, that constant, doing things at a hundred percent all the time. He's part of that group too. I, I don't know, you know, is Christian Dvorak. He leads a little differently. He's not a vocal guy. He, you've, the fans have seen him after a goal and there's no emotion. That's Christian Dvorak all the time. Like he's not highs and lows. He leads by example, but he's definitely a leader um, because he does things the right way also. So I, I'd look at those three right now. Let me ask you this, Petey. When you are choosing leadership, do those guys have to have a certain level of ability? Do they have to be, you know, players that are at least in your top nine forwards or top two pairs on defense to be leaders? I don't think they have to be, but traditionally they are. I think what happens is if you want to have a voice in the locker room, you need to be able to say, I'm doing it, so why aren't you? And I I know there have been, you know, I'll go to the greatest captain the Coyotes have had since I've been here, Shane Doan. And when Shane Doan 
went through periods where he wasn't playing as well, he didn't feel like he could be as vocal if he wasn't doing it himself. Um, which isn't a fair statement for Shane. He, he earned everything he, he received at the, you know, inside the locker room, but that's how he felt. If I wasn't performing to the level I needed to perform at, it's hard for me to ask the guy next to me. So I think that's why you see that. Um, the only exception would be guys that are in the twilight of their career that are, you know, falling down in the lineup that are still leaders that, that can still play lower in the lineup and still go, Hey, I've, I have been there. I might not be there now, but I have been there. But I think you see that that's, that's the time when that torch gets passed on to the next guy. Okay. I don't want to have a guy wearing an A that, that might, you might be in a position where you have to healthy scratch him too at some point, right? Cause it's really right. tough to sit a guy with a letter on his sweater. Absolutely. Okay, let's see. Los Coyotes, Steve, is the decision to take on Datsuk's contract to move up in the draft to select Chikrin in hindsight the best trade in Coyotes history? It's a good one. I have to go back through the trades again. I know I've done this story in the past, but that's that's definitely a good one. I mean, yeah, at the time, Jacob Chikrin was top 10 in that draft, and then he got hurt. And yeah. he just started to slide and slide and slide and slide. And I got to give it to John Chaika on that move. You know, Detroit desperately needed to, to free up some money so they could start making some moves to improve. Um, and that end, you end up with Keller and Chikrin in the same draft. Fantastic first round. And even, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll wear it. At the beginning of the season, I was a little tougher on Jacob Chikrin coming into the season. Jacob has always been, um, offensively gifted and an unbelievable skater, but I always thought his defensive side of the game lacked. And I said coming into the season that I wasn't sure where his ceiling was going to be. Um, he's proved me wrong. I mean, he, he's elevated his defensive game now, or he's not only not a liability defensively, he's an asset. And that has come literally over the last six months. Yeah. yeah. I agree with that. He is a, he is a terrific all around player with still, so much upside, which is scary. Well, the injury, I mean, the, the PD brought up too. I mean, I remember looking, going into that, that his final junior season where there were, there were mock drafts and I mean, take it with a grain of salt, but still that had Matthews going one, obviously, and had Chickren going two or three. I think it was, yeah. was Pippley Arby the other night. I mean, they had yeah. him that high in their final rankings. He just started to slip really close to the draft. It was, I wrote about this earlier this season. It's, it's really interesting what happened, but. That worked out for the Coyotes, obviously. Yeah. What, 16, I think it was? Finally, some draft luck for the Coyotes. Yeah. Uh, Jeff writes in, Steve, how did you like calling the D1 high school championship game between Pinnacle and ND? Wow. Again, one of my career highlights. I will say that. Um, you know what? I've had so much fun this season being outside of the coach's room. I have an opportunity to do something like this with you guys, the Natty Hattie. Um, and talk hockey and have a little less fear on how you portray yourself outside of that room um, has been great. And my son played high school hockey here in Arizona, played for Pinnacle High School. They won a state championship. Um, it's, it's an, it doesn't get much attention, Arizona high school hockey. Um, these kids are playing for their schools. They play hard, and it's Fun hockey to watch. I was honored to get the opportunity to do it. And, and Notre Dame won a really tight hockey game, three to two. And, um, you know, a lot of Coyote connections. Corey Schwab's son was in the game. Steve Sullivan, former assistant GM, his son was in the game. So there were some Coyote connections in it. And I had a great time. It was a great learning experience. But I will say this to Bob Heathouse, Tyson Nash, and Matt McConnell, that's a tough job. 
the preparation involved, even at that level, it was tough. So I, kudos to those guys. I don't know if fans recognize how difficult of a job that is and how much you need to know uh, about the players and the teams going in. Extending that one group for, farther uh, at, at the risk of uh, brown-nosing my uh, co-host here, radio's tough to, to fill all that airtime, man. You really have to be well-prepared. And Luke Lipinski does a trick. Like a Luke? Hold on. Let me just, let me, that will be a drop, Craig. I'm, I will record that and I will pull that. We'll open every show with it. I appreciate that. Um, it's easier when they win. I will say that. Coyote and Philly. Craig Morgan, did you drop Labushkin's stick on Wednesday? <laughs> I did not actually uh, on it today because I got Ilya does not want to do Zoom calls. I think his English is better than he admits, um, but he's not comfortable in Zoom calls. And plus, they lost that game. Had they won, there, there's a chance we might have gotten him in front of the cameras that night. But, you know, they did let me reach out to him via email just to ask him a couple more questions. And, and of course, one of my questions was, did you find another reporter to drop your sticks? And to which he said, no, only you can touch my sticks. <laughs> Uh, Kevin writes in basically just asking for an update on Barrett Hayton. Uh, I just talked to Steve Potvat about him, um, not putting up the points, but I think he really likes uh, his game, the way it's progressing away from the puck. He, he had his struggles early on down there. Part of it I'm sure was adjusting to the fact that he wasn't on the NHL club. He had been demoted. That can be a, a confidence uh, drain on a guy when, when they think they belong in the NHL and suddenly they get this wake up call, you know, they've succeeded all their life. So I think there was an adjustment period for him, but he's working on a lot of the details. I had this in my neutral zone today as well, working a lot of those details away from the puck. He also talked about how many chances they're generating and how his possession time has been really good. They're just not finishing their chances. And I know this will sound familiar to Coyotes fans. Hmm. (laughs) Um, Not lately. lately. A much better clip lately. The, the four hat-tricks in nine games was just insane. And the, the hat-tricks in back-to-back nights, not even back-to-back games, but back-to-back nights. Yeah. Uh, Paul, and we kind of touched on this, but I guess let's rehash it briefly. Are the Coyotes buyers or sellers on Monday? Uh, and I, I mean, I, you probably saw a lot of these people probably saw the uh, Q&A that I did with Bill Armstrong recently. It's just mm-hmm. the market's tough right now. I, it, it feels like it's going to be a tough market, of course. That all could change at the last minute. We know what deadlines do. They they tend to spur action, and we're not at the deadline quite yet. But with all the factors that we've discussed so many times, the flat cap going forward, the expansion draft and planning for that, COVID uh, and you know finances, there, there are a lot of things, the Canadian border, there are a lot of things impacting whether teams can actually execute trades. I would be extremely surprised if the Coyotes were buyers at the trade deadline. Um, I don't see that they're going to go for empty assets trying to go for it this season. That would surprise me. Now, this little playoff run, did that help them? Maybe a few of the rostered players stick around till the end of the season? Possibly and probably. But do I believe they're going after an asset to trade either current assets, prospects, or draft picks? No chance. Right. If they, they felt they could get something in a hockey trade that could benefit them now and in the future. In the future. Yeah. yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they make a trade. I, as a matter of fact, I still think Bill Armstrong is going to make a trade. Um, but I don't think it's going to be, a, you know, for a, for a UFA that they're looking to rent. I, no. I just don't believe that's going to be the case. And it would be, it would be really helpful for this playoff push if they had yet one more center to help because they're, they're just getting killed. They, they need a fourth center that can contribute. Derek Broussard didn't want to play center, moved there for a little bit. I thought he played well for a little while, but he's, 
he's fallen off again at that position. So they're just, they have a big hole there with the fourth center who they thought of course, at the start of the season might be Barrett Hayden. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, you, you, I think it would almost be reckless to go out and, and trade. I mean, they're not going to trade picks for, for, uh, for rentals because they are, they need the exact opposite of that, but I'd be cool just riding this out and see where it goes. Cause it looks like it's going to go to the playoffs. Uh, Chris writes in, we have Garland and Bunting. Is the key to late pick success drafting more players with hanging decoration names? Yes, that that really doesn't demand an answer, does it? Wow, that's, that's, that's a good observation. Your, your listeners are clever. Yeah. That's really good. Yes. Wow. More clever than us. Yes, yes, I was um, <laughs> uh, loyal Joel fit. Mistletoe. I like that. We're gonna. It's all Christmas <laughs> decoration. It's great. Uh, Joe Mistletoe would have a great hockey nickname too. He would. Missiles. That's, that's, that's a great name for like a defenseman. Um, you could be kiss. Oh, look at that. Wow. All kinds of planes, places. Let's move on. Loyal Sif. Do you guys feel like Jalmerson has started to struggle this year, even when not injured, chalk it up to a flash in the pan bad season or has father time started to catch up to him? Personally, I think it's the latter. I'm not even sure that Nick Chalmerson is going to play hockey past this season. He may go back to Sweden after this. I know he's got a lot of family issues as well that he's trying to focus on. That's why he's not going to waive his no no move clause and yeah. get traded to a contender. So, you know, I, yeah. I mean, when you look at the mileage on that guy's body with w- the way he has played the game. 1,500 block shots, is that what it is? He has put it all out there. And, you know, you guys both know that I grew up a Blackhawk fan. I watched him be an unsung hero on three cup championship teams. Nick Chalmerson has had a spectacular career, whatever he decides to do after the season. And even if he is in decline, so be it. He, he, he had an amazing career. He has a lot of mileage on his body and he did great things. And he's, he's one of the guys that you don't notice as much, but without him, um, you, you do notice him. I mean, he's the guy that can help you get over that hump as a winning team, as you've seen the roles he played. But even with the Coyotes, you know, his shot blocking and his penalty killing, um, skills have led to wins. And I know he's not the player he was five years ago, but nobody is. Um, he can still play the role he plays. He can play a, you know, a five, six. He can still kill penalties and get the puck out of the zone. Is he going to get you points? No. Um, I don't know what the future holds for him. I know these injuries have really set him back. He works extremely hard. Mm-hmm. He's a great professional. Um, he plays through injuries. He plays the right way. He's an unbelievable teammate. If there's a desire to play more hockey, he can. Yeah, and circling back to what we were saying earlier, I mean, it's it's that much more remarkable that they're winning not just without Darcy Kemper and Auntie Ranta, but without Nicholas Jalmerson, too. And I know they weren't expecting him to be, you know, Chicago Blackhawks 2013 Stanley Cup Yalmerson, but they were expecting to have him this year and they just, they really haven't. Uh, ben, what do you think the Coyotes record needs to be over the final 16 games to make it in as the final playoff team in the West? Oof. Not done that projection, to be honest. Yeah. I have 16 I mean, games left. It's, it's going to have to be better than 500. So you're starting off at eight and eight. It's got to be better than that, but not much better. Um, has anybody looked at the points projection for what it takes to make the playoffs this year? I haven't yet. See, no sites do that. Yeah, I haven't clearly not prepared, but it's, you know, is 10 and six, 10 and six gets them in. I think it does, you know, four yeah, games I mean, above 500 down the stretch. This is that time of year, right? Petey, where even if you're going to lose a game, you got to get a point, right? Cause it's like, that's 32 possible points. And I tend to agree with what you just said. You're probably going to need, 20 of those 32 right in that range and whether you want to get that by just 
losing in overtime a lot and you want to get to 20 points or whatever. But yeah, I would say 20 out of 32 sounds about right. I think that would get you in, I, I would say. Maybe you can do it with a little bit less. But yeah, And I still think Craig has alluded to it a few times here, chasing Minnesota. I, I don't think that's realistic. Probably not. You never know. You never know. I think uh, I'm looking at the Dom Lashushin's, uh projections right now. He has them getting in with 59 points. So, so that would be 18, right? Yeah. That's 18 more. No, it'd be 16, 16 more. Points. more. Yeah. Eight, wow. wow. Eight wins. So that's just 500. 500. Yeah. 500 gets them in. Wow. When you think about St. Louis's schedule, the, the wild card for me is San Jose. Look, I know the Kings won that game, but they got a split at, on home ice against the Coyotes. That didn't help the Kings. They're no. still seven points back. Their, their, their chances to me are slim mm-hmm. of making the playoffs. So I look at San Jose because of their schedule as being a, a better shot. St. Louis's schedule is just so hard. Yeah. I just can't, I can't imagine them navigating. But again, we said over the next four games how important that is. We, we talked about San Jose has LA, LA, Anaheim, Anaheim. They they could win all four of those games. Yeah, if they St. do. St. Louis, game. in the same time, St. Louis has Minnesota, 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 Colorado. I mean, yeah. that's 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 hard. Yeah. So I, I don't know. San Jose still is a sleeper in this one. I would say too, if if it really is only going to take sixteen more points for the Coyotes, it depends where you get those from, right? Like you got to win the game in regulation on April seventeenth against St. Louis. I think for for sixteen points to be enough. Uh, let's see here, Eldon. Thoughts on what a player should do when they lose their stick in the defensive zone? Go get a new stick or stay in the zone and act like a traffic cone. <laughs> it's clear what Eldon thinks. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on what that player's position is. If it's a defenseman, you've got, you've got to get your stick from a forward. Um, so you've got, that's where you see the forward hand to stick off. Unfortunately, sometimes you, you're a right hand, you're playing with a left handed stick. Defenseman can't make it to the bench too far away. You can't, you cannot leave your defensive position if you're a defenseman, but you also need a stick because the only chance of getting that puck out of the zone is you getting the puck out of the zone. So you need a stick. So forward has to hand that off. A forward, I'm a firm believer that um, you can only go get a stick in the first and the third period when you're close enough to the bench and you have to be the near side forward. Um, I, I'd rather see the forward stay in the shooting lane until he can get an opportunity to go get a stick. I hate to see that guy run off. You do see it sometimes on a penalty kill, though, um, that forward that's closest to his bench. Second period, no chance. You can't go. I'm uh, I'm making it through every question this week, Craig. So unless you guys stop me, I'm going through all of them. Uh, Coyotes fans, Germany asking about Philip Westerland and his future with the Coyotes beyond this season. Craig has his arms up in the air. So that <laughs> that, that is your answer of unknown at this point. Uh, I know that they are uh, pondering uh, the what they're going to do with all their prospects at, at, at but that decision has not been made yet. But Phil, look, Philip Westerland. I'll just I'll just be honest. I don't think he's a significant prospect in this system. Okay. Booper says, gut feeling, did the Yotes sign Garland to the contract he feels he is worth this offseason, yes or no? Oh, we kind of talked about that last week. Yeah, I mean. what Garland thinks he's worth? No. <laughs> no, and it, just being honest. Like, well, yeah, Garland, looks, Garland looks at that, you know, the leaderboard in points, and he looks around the locker room and he compares himself to Clayton Keller. Yeah. And he's, I would be extremely surprised if he gets Clayton Keller money. So in his eyes, does he get the contract he wants? I'll say no. Yeah, that's fair. And and also to be fair, if I was Connor Garland, I would be doing the same thing. Right? I, mean, but I think they sign him. I think they need to sign him. And I think they will sign him. I just know he's, he's looking for seven. And I think that's going to be a stretch under today's environment. 
Uh, here's one. Okay. And we have, we've had a few other questions that I've, I've skipped over because they're just, are the coyotes essentially going to be buyers or sellers deadline instead of answering the same question over and over. But Brandon says for Petey, which member of the coyotes coaching staff past or present was the best dresser? Oh, <laughs> wow. I, this is going to be, uh, I know the answer. It's immediate. It's Newell Brown. Ah. Newell Brown, who is an assistant coach now with the Vancouver Canucks, he had a friend that was a tailor. Well, wait, he's second. Number one by far, far and away. It's not even fair, was Wayne Gretzky. Like, but that's not fair. Like, he had custom made, unbelievably. Yeah, yeah that's, so that's not fair. And by the way, we'll say so Wayne won, Newley Brown two, because his friend was a tailor. Okay? Newley, by the way, thank you for that NHL hockey nickname. Uh, Newley, yeah, I went all the way from Newell to Newley. So, <laughs> Uh, Wayne Gretzky won, newly brown two, but Wayne Gretzky <laughs> one time cleaned out his closet and he said, Petey, do you want some of my old suits? First of all, we are not built the same. Wayne Gretzky suits are not going to fit me and I cannot wear a $5,000 custom fit Hugo Boss suit into the locker room. Like, what am I going to do with, what the heck am I going to do with those suits? And I saw, you can wear those, wear those to parties, and people are like, Petey, why oh. does the suit fit? And be like, that's Wayne Gretzky's suit. He gave it to me. Yeah, and and by the way, when you're very fashion forward, like he was at the time, and I'm clearly not fashion forward, You, I could never wear those suits at any time, even if they did fit. So Wayne Gretzky won Newell Brown two. All right. Uh, AZ Hockey Nut, fast forward into the future. Which current Coyotes player is an NHL coach or assistant? Which is a GM or assistant? None is a valid answer, too, but likely a cop-out, and the listeners may judge you harshly for that. <laughs> you know, one guy that I would have said before they traded him was Derek Stepan, mm. who I think actually wants to be around the game and, is, as we both know, is is just yeah. a great analyst when you sit down with him. And the talk. joke inside the coach's room often during the season would be to Derek, hey, Steph, why don't you just take a whistle? Like, do you, are you going to pack your, your coach's track suit for this trip? Because he was very involved in that. And, he, you know, it's a little bit of a, 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 a joke, but he, he was very into it. And like I said, how he treated the younger players where he wanted to teach, um, absolutely that's what he is. Um, the rest of that roster, gosh, it's it's too hard to, to – to, to look into the future for that. I, you know, a guy like Lawson Krauss, I could see taking a role in, in a coaching staff because of how much time he puts on the edge. Kristen Fisher is another guy. Um, I could see doing that, um, being a coach management. Gosh, I don't know if, if there is a management option there. I know Phil, Phil will not, Phil Kessel, just because I, once he's retired, he's retired. Yeah, Phil's going to be gone. He's going to yeah. fall. Basically. So, so I, I don't know. <laughs> I'll go cross the fisher. I think about a past player who I know would love to get into it is is Ray Whitney. But I, I can you imagine Ray Whitney as a GM? Just you'd have to be able to take the barbs. <laughs> yeah, that would be, be an interesting team funny. to play for. As funny a human being as I have ever met. I'll give you. I'll come at this from a different perspective. Just as far as interviewing players, a couple names that stand out. One, Dylan Strome. I don't know if he ever has any interest in this. He's so young in his career, but man, he would break down plays when we were doing off ice interviews, and I would go back and watch the play and realize he was on the ice for the play, and he was breaking down something that happened eighty feet behind him, and he wasn't looking at it, and he was right. Uh, Connor Murphy, Jacob Chikrin, too. Those guys answer questions like they are a coach already. Connor Murphy, yeah, that's a that's a good choice too. The the advantage of Dylan Strome doing that for you on radio too is that he did it in less time than anyone else did it because yeah. he spoke so quickly. 
I had to go back and slow it down to make sure I got well, it. I had to do that with all of my interviews with him. I would literally slow the tape speed down so I could actually transcribe his quotes. Man, that, he sees the game so well, though. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing. All right. He doesn't uh, do that. He can read ads on the air, those speed ads that you hear all the time. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, when we come back and we have like 10 seconds to do a 30-second read, yeah, I just hand those to Dylan Strom. Okay, we've only got three left. We make it through all the listener questions, so I say we wow. go through two of them. Um, Chris. If you had to sell the game, this is Chris Blythe, the different Chris. If you had to sell the game of hockey to someone who had never seen it before the game, before, what game or series would you sit them in front of, and why is the answer the 2010 Olympics final? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Boy. That's Um, that's a tough question. I mean. I got, how about about Alec Martinez scoring to beat the Blackhawks in game seven? Oh, thank you for that. Yeah. You have your bell. uh, But he didn't really even score. It kind of banked off a Blackhawk. I'm blocking. I can't remember. I mean, I I can think of so many instances of of great hockey where you're just like, I want more of this. Um, Yeah, there was some cup final. Like the Blackhawks Lightning Cup final was so much fun for me to watch. That was good. Um, I'd go way back, like the Canada Cup series, that legendary Canada Cup series. Some of the best hockey I've ever seen. Not to mention, yeah. the, you know, the top line. Did just Craig, did you see that game in 1980 in Lake Placid? Yeah, I watched that okay. game. Just yeah. saying, that's a pretty good. Side. I'm an American. That's always my go-to in the locker room with coaching with and around 95% Canadian coaches. I always have to go to the 1980 Olympic game. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a national pride thing, right? Um, it's my go-to. But when you when you have a line of Lemieux, Gretzky, and Messier as your top line in the Canada Cup series, um, <laughs> that seems unfair. I brought I, every time I bring up Miracle around Doan, he's like, "Yeah, that's nice. We don't have to make movies. Yeah, about they don't make movies. Yeah. I'd always yeah. hear that too. And when they'd win like, another gold medal or another tournament, that's all I'd hear. Hey, Petey, are, we, are the Canadians going to make a movie about this one? <laughs> Ouch." Um, okay, here. This is from Jeffrey Travis Twyman. It was great to hear Petey's insight on Galchenyuk and Duclair's gaps and why they struggle at times. I'd love to hear his insight on Domi and Perlini. Why have they struggled to catch on after multiple teams? They appear to have skill just missing something else. You know, oh, that's a tough one. Of those, I don't know if Domi hasn't caught on. Like, I, I think Domi's, you know, he's had some success in this league now with his, his, you know, with another team after he left Montreal, but he's, he is having some success. The one to me was Brendan Perlini, though it's a real interesting player. Um, when he was around the Coyotes and we found ourselves making our preseason system tapes, meaning the video we would show to players saying, this is how you perform this task or this skill or this system. Brendan Perlini would pop up on the film quite often. He's an unbelievably gifted hockey player. His mm-hmm. skill set is is impressive, the way he can battle for the puck and his strength of battling guys off the puck and protecting the puck. High, high skilled. I just don't know how much Brendan Perlini wanted to play hockey. And I know that's hard for people to understand. He would post game, he'd be watching soccer highlights and he'd be watching um and you. you know Premier soccer, Premier soccer was his go-to. That was he was really into it. I think he played hockey because he was good at it, not because he wanted to. And I think it's hard to excel at anything you do if that's not where your focus lies. And I, that's not a knock to Brendan Perlini at all. Um, he just. I don't know if he had the heart for the game. Now, now Max, I, I don't know if when when you look back at what when his career is over, you look back. I'm not 
so sure you can't look back and go, he's done well. Because um, I think he has. He competes hard. Um, he's a good teammate. Um, so I think his story is still yet to be written. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's, that's playing in the Swiss League now. Um, funny yeah. story. We've had a, uh, a KHL executive reach out to me to ask about Brendan Perlini. I wonder if they were thinking about signing. And a great kid, too. Oh, I he, love he really is a one of the best guys. On the side of it. I mean, you want to have one of those conversations as a reporter where you can just sat, sit down and talk with a guy about any topic under the yeah. sun for an hour. Yep. It's Brendan Perlini. Very one cerebral kid. Guys, yes. One of the most hey. interesting guys I've ever covered. I, I completely second that. And then he has the, he has some plays, some plays where it's just like, oh, this guy, you understand why he was a top 15 pick. And you're like, just do it consistently, man. Zone. Man, he, he had some, yeah, he had some elite skills. Uh, okay, last one. This is a tough one from Ozzy. Let's make some enemies. You sign one, you trade one, and you wave one. Garland, Chikrin, and Schmaltz. Here, I'll go first. Take oh, the heat off you guys. Wait. Sign um, one, wave one, and trade one? Oh. Yeah, I mean, I'm signing Chikrin. Yep. Uh, I don't – wow. <laughs> I guess I'm trading Garland because I already know I could get a lot, and I guess I'm waving Schmaltz. No, Schmaltz was the third? Schmaltz is the last one that they had on there. By the way, that Schmaltz shot the other night. Oh, who was that against? It was the fourth goal. The toe drag? Yeah, that was filthy. That shot was nasty. You know, and you can't do a toe drag too often in the NHL. And, and I, I think at times he was trying to do that too much. But, man, when it succeeds, it's just like, wow. Yeah. That is a sweet, sweet move. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to – I hate to, to – to, to follow your, your coattails. Look, I'm going to say the same thing for the same reasons. Chikrin, you're going to build this franchise around for the next decade. Garland brings you the biggest return in the trade market. And Schmaltz, unfortunately, as high-end skill that he can provide an offense that he can bri- provide just doesn't do it consistently enough. Yeah. Well, there, and there's no, I mean, this is a question where there's no right answer. Obviously, the Coyotes are building around all three for a reason, but this is our listeners putting us uh, in the corner to wrap up the show. Craig? That's that's my answer. The same. Okay. We're we're all in we're in lockstep here. All right, guys, we did it, and I believe we have answered every listener question, unless some came in while we were doing the show. Very so, nice. congratulations to us and me specifically for uh, for Steve Peters, for Craig Morgan. I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.